burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You will run in a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will have to pay the penalty, whoever that may be. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire Lord is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Lord, I pray for John, who has the task of delivering your message to us this morning. We pray that, that we will have ears to hear and hearts which are receptive to his message from you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Good morning. Happy New Year. Oh, that puzzled you just ever so slightly, didn't it? Um, has John been on the pop, um, perhaps? Um, but no, Happy New Year, as Advent is the liturgical New Year. This is when the Anglican Church starts its process of its daily, uh, its daily rhythms and kickstarts the liturgical calendar. And there's this sense... Um, I'm sure that uh, this is the, you know, one of the challenging times of year as we hurtle through Advent. As we hurtle through Advent, the last thing any of us may be feeling is freedom. The last thing any of us may be feeling is freedom. Some words from a um, well-known Advent hymn, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Friends, we are free. That's part of the big picture of God's freedom. We have a task on our hands to do a sermon of 26 verses of Galatians in about 15 or 20 minutes. But as I said to Steve at the start of planning this sermon series, if I could preach on one topic week after week after week, it would be freedom. And Steve, in his kindness, um, has given me this task today in, uh, of talking about a subject which is really close to my heart. This is good news. Do we get this? Do we understand that we are fully free? You see, I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure we grasp it 100%. I'm not sure we ever will this side of um, our return, or this side of uh, heaven, but I do wonder whether when we look at this passage, there are three particular charges that Paul gives us. And so I'm going to talk to those, and hopefully they will give um, a little bit of an indication of, of where we're headed this morning. So firstly, uh, well, let me just see if this works. I'm not sure it will, Hannah, don't know. It's all right. I'm cursed by this thing. I think I... Need some deliverance ministry, I think, or I do. Uh, yeah, let's. Can we just? I think it's fairly obvious with the slides where it works. Three charges. Paul asks us to live in freedom. He asks us to live in love, and he asks us to live in the spirit. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, says, um, "The glory of God is the man fully alive." The glory of God is the man fully alive. There's a challenge here. I wonder, as we think about our lives, are they characterized by the freedom that Christ has won for us? Are we living in that freedom daily? And I feel like it's a choice as well as a state of being. You may remember the old Christian chorus, Jesus, we celebrate your victory. 
Um, I don't know if you remember this. Jesus, we celebrate your victory. Um, Jesus, we revel in your love. And the first verse of that song, it says this, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free, lifted from this passage in Galatians. Are we living in the freedom that Christ has won for us? It struck me as Gareth last week preached and showed that picture of the person with the chains that was, you know, they'd got broken chains on each hand. And they're stretched out. And there's this understanding that that is a type of freedom, freedom from chains. But I wonder whether we are living under chains that cannot always be seen. What you get from this first section of this passage is this sense that Paul is frustrated with these Galatians. He's been annoyed and he's been angry, but then there's this frustration. Verse 12 is evidence of this. We see something else in this passage, this understanding that Paul has gone on and on and on to the Galatians. And just, they still don't seem to be understanding, or he cannot help but get his message across in another way. Verse 11 says, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If I was still preaching circumcision, then the scandal of the cross would be no more than an addition to what we already know, to what we already knew. No, poor cries. The cross is not an add-on. It is the means and mode of our freedom, which came at a cost we could not have paid. These verses are dripping with frustration, aren't they, and indignation, but also with horror. Don't reduce the cross to an item of jewelry or a sentiment. And he uses the example of circumcision to try and get this across to the people. It was a physical act. Yes, it was a sign of the covenant, the old Jewish covenant, but it was an outward symbol of obeying the law. And of course, this is a theme throughout the Galatians, uh, this letter to the Galatians. Circumcision, if you're going to follow the law a little, Paul says, you might as well follow it all. That might be the thing that sorts you out. But why would you, Paul says, when I pointed out that the law is not the thing that saves? Paul wanted us to live in the freedom that Christ has won for us. And the ultimate freedom comes when we run. The ultimate freedom of movement comes when we run. I don't know if I'm sat, uh, stood in front of a group of people that like running, I don't know if that is something that you like to do. Steve, I know, likes to cycle. I've, I've not seen him run. Um, Gareth, I know, was down to do the marathon, but for reasons couldn't do a half marathon, didn't do it. I've done a 10K race some years ago now, a 10K run at Rushcliffe Country Park. And um, it's a great experience, but what happens is you all gather together on a Sunday morning 
And <clears throat> having gone through about, I don't know, three days of preparation for this race, I thought I was more or less prepared for it. What I wasn't prepared was for the stuff that happens around the race. And uh, so you do, I keep calling it a race, it's a run, right? A race means that you might get something at the end of it. I was never going to win this thing. And as people are stood at the start of this race, we're having this conversation, how are you, you know, et cetera, and then they do a warm-up and all the rest, and then people ask you a question. They say, are you going for a time? Well, I, it took me a little while to understand what they meant. And what they really meant was, are you taking this seriously? Are you taking this seriously? One look at my body shape would say probably not. I wasn't taking it that seriously, but I was there. I was there. And so I did this race, and as I kind of came to the end, as I rolled past the finish line, um, I see, obviously, a 95-year-old man who's finished 10 minutes previously and a, a mother of two children who's gone around with a buggy. Um, and... Uh, Apart from the damaging, you know, thing that, state that has, uh, you know, to my heart, there is this sort of sense of I've done it. I've completed this race. But as I went on the race, as I did this thing, there were people cutting in on me. There were people, because the path is narrow. I don't know if anybody has been around Rushcliffe Country Park, but the path is narrow. Imagine that the path is no longer than this aisle. And these hundreds of some competitors, some participants, funnel their way into a path like that. Your movement is checked. And I'm a runner that once I get going, if I stop, it's curtains. I need to keep going. And there was this sense on that race that people were cutting in on you. And every now and again, you just have to check your step. You'd have to run on the, sort of, or somebody would go a bit slower and you'd want to go a bit quicker. So you'd overtake them. Your breath would struggle to catch up. I'm fine once I got going and got into a rhythm. But when you get interrupted, that's actually quite a challenge. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. We see something here that's quite common to us. Who or what is cutting in on us as we run this race? Who or what is putting the chains back on us? Oh, you've been a Christian a little while. You just need to do this thing. You just need to do and then you'll feel a little bit better. And of course, we need encouragement to uh, walk closely with Jesus. But I wonder whether there are those things in our lives that cut in on us as we run the race. Put more positively, who can be our encouragers as we run this race? Who can be our encouragers as we run this race? Who can keep us focused on the running? And Paul says that if we are alive in freedom, then we live in love. And uh, we, this, uh, we demonstrate our freedom by acts of love for one another. 
Paul recognized the dissension that would likely be a problem if they let it fester. Those that thought circumcision important and those that didn't. He said the challenge was they were arguing amongst themselves and Paul was speaking to that. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And here he quotes Jesus, who himself is quoting the Ten Commandments, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. John Piper wrote this, the command to love in Galatians 5.13 is a command to have the kind of free and confident heart that by its very nature has to love. The command to love is a command to have the kind of free and confident heart that by its very nature has to love. Mother Teresa, we can do no great things, just small things, with great love. How is God wanting us to use our freedom to bless others, to show them love? So our freedom has been won for us and we are called to live in that freedom. We are called to live in love. But we are called to live in and by the Spirit. In my translation, it says, so I say walk by the Spirit. This is verse 16. So I say walk by the Spirit. I think in the translation we had here, it said, so I say live by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desire, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And it also asks us to be led by the Spirit. When I was a student in London, um, studying to, to be a vicar school, basically, let's call it that, theological school. And uh, we, uh, what happens when you go to London, I don't know if you realize this, but you, you go, you have to go at the pace of everybody else. Uh, so when you get off the train and you go and use the underground, um, you're sort of on a tide, especially at rush hour, you're caught on a tidal wave of commutersville, right? And what happens is you sort of, um, you're sort of running to keep up but you're carried to places where you don't really quite know, unless you know where you're going, and everybody else seems to know where they're going, you're walking at their same speed. And a strange thing happens in London. I don't know if it happens in any other city around the UK, but you have to stick to one side of the escalator because there are people that are far more important than you that need to get somewhere quicker than you. And they can shave off valuable seconds, actually, and uh, they tut at you. They don't ever say move, but they sort of tut as they go past. And, and John, you know, country boy brought, brought up in Gloucester, you know, uh, wasn't really used to this when I first started going to London. And so you'd stand, you know, you didn't stand in the way on purpose, but you'd kind of work out that after a few tuts, you had to be conditioned to London. This is how we do things here. This is how we do things here. But I wonder what it would be like if we lived our life walking by the Spirit. That we weren't, you know, uh, sort of in the flow, in the flood of just going where everybody else is going. But that we walked in the Spirit. It's a whole sermon series in itself, this. 
But when, we, when Paul lists these things, uh, these acts of the flesh, our mind does a couple of things, I think. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and he lists them all. He lists them all. And what we do in our mind, whether we mean to or not, is we sort of prioritize them. We say, go, well, I don't do that. That's okay. Um, I, don't do, I don't do fits of rage very often. Um, I don't do uh, factions or drunkenness. Or, or Oh, hang on a minute. Factions. What's going on in our country at the moment? Dissensions. <sighs> Discord. And I think to myself, ooh, that's convicting, isn't it? It's a little bit like when we look at the Ten Commandments. We go, well, I worship God. I don't murder people. Um, Don't commit adultery and don't steal. That's okay. But what we do is we prioritize and go, well, actually, we're we're just above what's acceptable. And it strikes me that these things are conscious acts But where the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, it's fruit. An apple tree does not strain to bring forth its fruit. And we as Christians, I believe, are called to live in that freedom. And not strain, but this is the fruit of our lives. This is the fruit of how we should live. And against such things, there is no law. This phrase of walking in the Spirit. I'm just going to finish with this image of walking in the Spirit or living by the Spirit. The Greek word is peripateo, peripateo. And for those of you that know anything about music, there are music teachers that are peripatetic. Is that right? Have I said that right? Music teachers, not peripathetic. That's something different. Peripatetic music teachers, they travel from school to school, teaching the violin, the guitar, drums, etc. And I wonder whether we as people, when, when we walk in the Spirit, as we travel from place to place, have we got the speed right? You see, when we translate that word, it means literally to stroll. I don't know if you stroll very often. I'm always rushing from one place to the next. I'm never, I'm never going anywhere slowly. But there's a call to stroll because a person who strolls is not anxious. The peri part of that word is the word where we get perimeter and we go around. Some might say we go around in circles. Let's finish with that understanding that the calling on our lives is to walk in the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, but to keep in step with Him. And I know some of you will be going, John, don't you have a clue what is going on? It's Christmas. We've got presents to buy. We've got business to attend to. Carol services to plan and lots going on. But I wonder in this Advent season, is it time for us to take some time? As we move through to celebrate our long expected Jesus, a Jesus who lays his glory by, born that we no more may die. I wonder, is God drawing us ever closer into the mystery of the incarnation? Another translation of those last verses says, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, 
the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better than another and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Work out its implication in every detail of our lives. Amen.